Jason Johnson is here to, to share with us today from God's Word. We're excited about what he has to share. Him and his family just recently moved here to Manhattan, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to having him here. So let's, let's give it up, Jason. So we, we are new to Manhattan, and we've moved around quite a bit, a lot more than we thought. So if you ask us where we're from, our whole family is a little bit confused by that question. And so we're like, hmm, I'm not sure. And so it kind of throws people off that have lived in one place. And people then usually follow up and say, are you military? And we're like, nope, we're not military. We just have moved around more than we thought we would. You know, I started off in student ministry in August of 1990, and I kind of somehow got uh, talked in, I'm not sure what happened, to uh, being a volunteer for Young Life. And I went to the training, and then just God continued to, to move me to the next thing. Until um, now, it's been over 28 years that I've uh, been working in volunteer and full-time ministry positions. And my wife, Carrie, and I, we've been married for 23 years, and we have a freshman in college and a seventh grader, and uh, Carrie and I have been in ministry our whole time, and so a really good experience, and we're glad we're here in Manhattan, and uh, very thankful for this opportunity to speak at Crestview this morning. Um, go ahead and turn to Tom, Psalm 136. Um, That's where we're going to land today, Psalm 136. And uh, we've been in a series called Playlist, where we've been looking at the songs of Israel. And Psalm 136 was a song that would be sung at festivals, um, some of the celebrations, um, possibly even Passover. And each line, it's a unique song because each line of the psalm then is followed by a refrain. It's likely that the choir of the congregation would then say that refrain of that song. And so it's the only psalm where that is the case, that every single line has a line of refrain. And so let's start just by reading Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Hmm. That's true, except when it's not. It was Friday, September 16th, 1994. On that day, I couldn't give thanks to God. Um, His love was non-existent in my mind, and I didn't know what life was going to look like. It had been eight days since my accident, and so I didn't know um, what the rest of my life was going to look like. I sure didn't um, uh, know what it was going to look like if, is, it, is it going to look like it did on September 7th, 1994? Is it going to be the same kind of life? What struggles am I going to have? I was in Bible college, and some friends and I were riding our uh, mountain bikes on campus, and we were going down a hill really fast. And so they tell me that I don't remember any of this, but it was a Thursday, and so we were riding down the hill in the late afternoon, and a car was pulling out, and evidently, um, I saw the car, and, but going so fast, I swerved and hit my brake, and, and my, my tire, my front tire of my bike was actually tacoed. It was completely bent in two, which that um, launched me off my bike, and uh, no helmet on, and uh, about 50 feet or so, and hit the asphalt, uh, luckily with my head, <laughs> head and shoulder hit first. And uh, thankfully, some friends were there. They drug me over into the grass um, while I was seizing. And I uh, spent uh, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night in the hospital. I don't remember anything until Saturday afternoon. There was a little bit of a Michigan football game that was on. 
And I knew my body wasn't right, but the doctor said, hey, it's, it was a traumatic accident. Um, you know, these nerves and stuff are bruised. And so uh, give it some time and, and uh, things will be all right. The CAT scan that you had after the accident was negative, And so you're, you're going to be good. Just uh, give it a few, di- few days, weeks. That whole next week um, was difficult. I'm left-handed, and so my hand wouldn't write. And uh, even reading assignments for class, um, it's amazing all the muscles that are involved in that. And so the muscles on the left side of my neck wouldn't stabilize my head. And so as I was reading, it'd be like, so I had to hold my finger on the line of text so I could maintain that same line of text. And, And the shower was a whole new deal because my left eyelid wouldn't close. And so I couldn't wash my hair, wash, I'm from, part of, my, part of me is from Oklahoma. Did I just say wash? Yes. Um, I, I go in and out of cultures because we've lived in different places. So um, I was trying to wash my hair and uh, it wouldn't, my eyelid wouldn't close. And so um, I had to use my right hand to, to pull my eyelid shut and then, and then do this with my hair with my left hand. And so my left hand was funny. Um, I, I kind of walked like this, and my foot just drug behind me. And the worst part of all of it, I couldn't button my jeans, okay? And so as a guy, as a college guy, you know, you're like, like I'm a manly, you know? Until that point where you have to go up to your roommate and go, dude, <clears throat> uh, would you button my jeans? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, then it just tanks. That whole week was uh, a hard week, and I uh, saw the trainer on the basketball team on Friday morning. Uh, he looked at me, and he did a, a few tests, and he said, hey, I want you to touch your finger to your nose, and so I was like zeroed in. I'm like, I'm going to pass this, and I'll be like, <laughs> he's like, try again, you know, okay, I'm focused, I'm focused, zeroed in on my nose. He goes, let's try something else. And so he, he said, flip your hand from front to back as fast as you can. And, and I couldn't do it. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't work at all. It wouldn't do that function. So he said, hey, something's going on. We need to get you to the uh, doctor. By that afternoon, I was doing an MRI. And then I was in the office of a neurosurgeon. And he said, as a result of the MRI, he was positive that I had had a stroke. And I'm like, a stroke? I'm 22. 80-year-olds have strokes. 22-year-olds don't have strokes. And he was like, well, you hit the ground so hard that there's some very tiny blood vessels at the base of your brain, and those were just sheared. And because they were tiny, it took a while for that blood to collect, but you have a pea-sized spot of blood at the base of your brain, and so the symptoms you're experiencing are paralysis. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, what do you mean? How long is it going to last? He is like, you know, it, it, it will probably get better, might take up to a year, um, but most likely because of your age, um, you'll get most of your, your function and strength back. Um, but I can't promise that, but, but probably you will. Um, if not, you know, if there is some permanent brain damage, then there's some new research that uh, now it has a name. At that time, it didn't totally have a name, but the neuroplasticity of the brain and how if you keep sending nerve impulses to the brain, if there's one part of the da- brain that's damaged, then another part of the brain will pick up that 
function and, and do that. And so he said, even if there's some damage there, if you keep, if you keep working, then uh, it's possible that another area of that brain will take over. And so I left um, the doctor's office that Friday, not, not, not knowing at all what life was going to look like. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good? <laughs> really? His love endures uh, forever? Really? Are you kidding me? My first response was, uh, and I hope that's not disconcerting to you, uh, but you, have you been in that spot? That spot where, where life just kind of jumps up and just whacks you right in the teeth. And your immediate response is not, you know, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Praise the Lord, he is good. My initial response was, I'm ticked, God. What is going on? How come you cause this? How come you allow this? What is going on with this? Um, what are you doing? Where are you? Are you going to do anything else? Are you just going to leave me like this? I'm shaking my fist at God. Have you been there? Have you had those kinds of days or, or even seasons where uh, Thanksgiving did not reside in, in your same zip code? Days where we were not grateful. Days of struggle, days of grief, days of fear, days of disorientation. In those days, let's be honest, it's hard to give thanks. It's even hard to praise God. To put this dilemma in the terminology of this sermon series, here's, here's what we might ask. When, when life does that, when life just comes up and just smacks you, what song do you play? What's your go-to? What song do you play when life just whacks you out of the blue? I think God has given us a really good one in Psalm 136. It's a song of praise. It's one of the psalms in a group of psalms called the Great Haliel by the Israelites. During Passover, this psalm was probably one of the psalms that would be recited last. There would be several different things that would happen, and Psalm 136 would probably be the one that was recited last. In fact, when Jesus ate the Last Supper, it is possible, when Matthew records that the disciples sung a hymn and they headed out to the Mount of Olives in Matthew 26, it's possible that this song, Psalm 136, was the song that they sang together. Hmm. If that's true, and luckily, uh, you can't prove me wrong, <laughs> I can't prove it, but if that's true, think about the ramifications of this is the, some of the last words that Jesus sang in community before he was tortured. Wow. That's fascinating. Because Psalm 136 is not focused on the situation. It's focused on God. It's a psalm that centers us on the person and the acts of Almighty God. That's a good one to go to. When life whacks you, and you might be there this morning, you might be in a season of life that you're just like, eh, I'm done. What song can we play? What's our go-to? I think Psalm 136 is, a, is given to us as kind of a gift by God to go to. We can break it up into 
three distinct parts. There's this first three verses of Psalm 136, and we're not going to go through each verse, but we're going to go through kind of the chunks of what the psalmist is trying to get across. Psalm, the first three verses are um, just this call to praise, a command to praise, a, an encouragement to praise God for who He is. And then there's this big chunk in the middle, verses 4 through 25, that are talking about the substance of praise and the, the reason for our praise, why we praise. This is what God has done. And then it wraps up with verse 26 as kind of an ongoing remembrance an ongoing call to praise and just remember what God has done and continue to praise, continue to give him thanks. So that first chunk, verses 1 through 3, the first three verses start off with this word, give thanks. It's actually one word in Hebrew and it means confession or acknowledgement. It doesn't mean thanks. That's fascinating to me because it, it means that a person is supposed to make a public confession of the attributes and acts of power of another person. And so it's a, it's a confession about God that he is good, that his nature is good, and that all of his acts are good. Well, what does that do? If I do that, then that thrusts me in to thanksgiving and prayer. And so um, as we read throughout the Old Testament, thanksgiving and prayer and this word confession, acknowledgement, they're all kind of clustered together and sometimes they're really hard to separate and they get a little technical. But thanksgiving is usually connected with um, the acts of God. We are thanking God for something that He has done. We're thanking God. We're expressing gratitude for him, to Him for His care and concern in our lives. And so later on in the service, we're going to take communion and we are thanking God for what He has done in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are remembering that and we're, we're giving thanks to what God has done in Jesus. Praise of God has a little bit different nuance to it. It's usually directed towards um, his character or his excellence. It's a character word where we're, we're talking about honoring God for his nature, for who he is. And so we, we praise God because he is good. We give thanks because of what he's done. We praise him for, for his nature. He is good. He is trustworthy. He is kind. And so the psalm starts off with this powerful thrust of, of publicly acknowledging that God is God, and this is what he has done, and it is super good. God is presented in these first three verses as being over all things. There is nothing else in the universe that can match his power and his might. Everything that he has done is good. Everything that he has done is life-giving. And when I make that confession of God's attributes and what he has done, then I am praising him as the only God. And wrapped up into that, I'm going to be giving thanks for the things that he has done. And you see, the nations around Israel, they, they had a lot of deities. Psalm 136 comes out and stresses, God is the only one who is worthy to have the title of God. He is it. There is no one else. Then we move into verses 4 through 25. They give us this reason for praise. One author writes this about this section. He says, A close examination of all the hymns of praise identifies two broad dominions in which the Lord proves His loving faithfulness. Two areas in which the loving commitment of the Lord can be experienced in creation and in history. And so here we are. If you can't praise God this morning, 
for your circumstance, for where you're living right now, there is something that you can do. You can go back and you can look at creation and you can look at the history of Israel and go, ah, it doesn't feel like it to me, but I, look and I can look back and I can know that God is good. Oh, he's good. And, and I can look back and I can see how he worked and I can see how he moved. I can't do it myself, but I can use Psalm 136. I can look back and go, ah, oh, he's good. His works are good. He is a mighty God. We praise him for who he is and for what he's done. The psalmist also in this chunk of a middle section, he uses this word, great wonders. And another writer says, describing them as great wonders might seem a little bit redundant. Are there any small wonders? Ah, Is there anything that God does that is small? No, there's not. And throughout all of history, God is a God of great wonders. Whenever God touches something, it is good, it is great. Creation, in fact, comes from his understanding and his wisdom, his infinite understanding and wisdom. And there's a section that talks about, uh, in Psalm 136, about the moon and the sun. And it's a parallel to Genesis 1. It'll sound very familiar to you as you read it. You're like, huh, this sounds like Genesis 1. But in Genesis 1, they're called the, the, uh, the greater and the lesser lights. And because as this nation of Israel was emerging and evolving, um, there was a lot of Babylonian influence and a lot of uh, influence from the ancient Near East cultures about how uh, the sun and the moon are gods. And so Genesis 1 just calls them the lower and the, the greater light. But here in, in Psalm 136, as God has had a chance to reveal himself, that as God has had a chance to um, show that he is consistent and that he is faithful, the psalmist names them the sun and the moon. Interesting, because the thrust of that naming, the sun and the moon, are to show that ah, God is way above the sun and the moon. God is God. Actually, the sun and the moon, they submit to Almighty God. Actually, the sun and moon, they are exhibits of God's faithful love. Just the rhythm of the moon and the rhythm of the sun, the consistency of it, they show their testimonies to how God is consistently faithful and loving in our lives. They're not to be worshipped. Um, they are set in place by the one to be worshipped. And notice as the, this chunk, this middle chunk, um, moves into some verses of 10 through 16 that tell about Egypt and the Red Sea and the Exodus. This writer says, in Israel's thinking, the Red Sea event was the, the crucial act of deliverance. Okay, so it wasn't the plagues. It wasn't uh, rounding up at night and leaving Egypt. It was the Red Sea that was the crux. It was the turning point. Before the Red Sea, Israel had escaped, but they weren't safe. After the death of the firstborn, the Pharaoh had not finally acknowledged Yahweh's authority. After the Red Sea, Israel was safe. Because Yahweh had asserted his authority in a definitive way over Pharaoh. The Red Sea is a turning point. They were free and they were safe. 
And the psalmist uses in verse 15 an interesting word that means, he, the psalmist says, overthrew, over, God overthrew Pharaoh. It, it, it literally means to shake off. <laughs> so, so picture, you know, Pharaoh, a powerful, a powerful man that thought he was a deity, a powerful army, a powerful nation, and God simply <laughs> shakes him off. He simply shook off Pharaoh and his army. Pharaoh was not a challenge. Now, I'm sure if you'd ask an Israelite during that same period of time, what were their perspective of Pharaoh was, oh, he's powerful, he's mighty. By his word, people live and die. He, he's, he's a God. But when you put him next to Almighty God, he is just shaken off. Hmm. Throughout history, the Lord protected his people. He destroyed mighty kings. He gave them land. He allowed them to, to possess the land that he gave them. He continued to rescue, to remain faithful, to uh, provide. And no matter how difficult the circumstance and no matter how great the odds, God was there. He was always there, always providing and rescuing and being faithful. And so Psalm 136, gosh, it speaks. We might even say it sings to us today. We are not facing Pharaoh But even if we were, our obstacle is not a challenge for God. This is a good point to bring in that refrain. You remember, Psalm 136 is the only one that has this throughout every line. It's this refrain, for his steadfast love endures forever. And remember, this psalm is a psalm that would be recited, and so the congregation or the people would, re- would say that refrain in response. As you went through the uh, acts of creation and the acts of the history of Israel, the people would say, his love endures forever. And the leader would say, and God did this. And the people would say, and his love endures forever. His love is not dependent upon our actions or our lack of actions. And it's significant that in Psalm 136, you don't see all the failures of Israel. There are multiple times they're disobedient. They do it their own way. They forget God. They want to go back to Egypt. They're unfaithful. None of that is mentioned. Because in one sense, it doesn't matter because of God's hesed love, his covenantal love for his people. His love is based on his character. And we are his covenant people, the church. God stands on that commitment of love. This writer sums it up beautifully. He says, in general, Yahweh's commitment is expressed in the the way Yahweh goes about being both good and being God of God and Lord of Lords. It would be no use if Yahweh were inherently good, but not committed to us. Ah, he's good. And he's committed. You see, a lot of our, our relationships today, they're based on a contractual love. And our marriages oftentimes are based on contractual love. And when I'm doing premarital counseling, I really hit this point because um, we go into relationships thinking, if they uphold their end of the deal, then I will uphold my end of the deal. So what happens when one of those people breaks their end of the deal? Well, I'm out. I've got every right to leave because they didn't do their part. Huh. 
That's contractional. Covenantial is based on God's commitment to us whether we fulfill our end of the deal or not. He is lovingly committed. And so, if you're, if you're here today and you're like, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. God couldn't uh, love me. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you've done. Really? You, you cannot outrun the love of Almighty God. Have you, have you experienced consequences? Yeah. Have you, have you gone through some difficult times? Absolutely. Have you outpaced God's love? No. You haven't. Even if it has felt like it. And so we end Psalm 136 with verse 26, and it kind of circles back to where we started, and it uses that same Hebrew word, give thanks, to publicly acknowledge and confess who the Lord is and what He has done. Confess that uh, His covenantal love His commitment endures forever, which implies a consistent praise on our part, a consistent entering into acknowledging that God is good and His acts are good and that His love endures forever. For about six weeks, I was semi-paralyzed on my left side. Some funny stories came from that period of time. Perhaps the, the most embarrassing was that uh, I was carrying a tray in, in the cafeteria and uh, I turned away from the little counter thing and my left arm just wouldn't support that weight. And so my whole tray crashed down at lunch. Everything just went everywhere. I'm like, oh man. But I really think that God healed my brain. It was six weeks instead of a year. And those people that knew me well, they, they would say I'm, I'm mostly healed from that brain injury. There are times that uh, <laughs> might not be the case. But I didn't praise him at first. Um, I fought him. I certainly didn't, didn't give him thanks. And I, I remember just holding my fist up to God and just being ticked and angry and having to, to work through all of that. Now, it's been 24 years, I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything. Um, because it did something inside of me that God could do no other way. His covenant love was there all along. It, it, never, it never vanished, it never was absent. It continued to work uh, deep in me. And until there was a point, and I can't remember the day, I really wish I'd have written down the day that this switched in my mind, that I, I firmly decided, if I don't recover, I will confess that He is good. And if I do recover, I will confess that He is good. My situation no longer mattered. I was centered in his love. This morning, we are going to use Psalm 136 as a responsive reading for a congregation, just like Israel would have done back in the day. And so I hope it gives you a centerpiece this morning. I hope it 
anchors you in who God is and who His nature is. I hope that you use it in the weeks and the month to come as a go-to song. A song that you can go to that will help you get through whatever you are experiencing. And so what we're going to do, the words will be on the screen. I'm going to say the first line in the verse. And your job is to say that refrain. For his steadfast love endures forever. And I want you to dig deep. I want you to, to pull on a rainy Sunday morning. Pull, pull from the resources and uh, say it passionately and with great conviction. Okay, so please stand. And we are going to do this together. Psalm 136. I'll say the first line and you say that refrain. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him who alone does great wonders. To Him who by understanding made the heavens. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings, and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. As we enter into a new season here at Crestview, um, it's important that you be here the next five weeks. God is working. There's a lot of good changes that are on the horizon, um, healthy things that God is doing, you know, but it really comes down to him. And our trust that He is going to work. Um, We trust Him. And uh, throughout history, I think, since God has acted in such a magnificent way, a building and a relocation project isn't that big of a deal. As long as we trust Him and we stay focused on Him. Give thanks to Him for His love endures forever. Lord, we are... I'm just amazed by 
your commitment to us, uh, even in times that we are not necessarily wholeheartedly committed to you. Thank you for this reminder that you love us. Lord, and we confess your goodness and your nature and the power of your mighty hand. Bless everyone here. Pour out your grace on them. We love you, Jesus, and we give thanks to you.